Hey, heroes. Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers. Those folks are the ones that are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA, Next Generation Advanced. With reliable, cloud-based, end-to-end NG91 solutions, I am wicked confident that they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it's affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. All right, here we are. I'm wicked excited for my guest today. Not only is she just an amazing person in general, she's a new friend of mine. And when I say friend, it's not just like, oh yeah, she's a friend. No, this is a person that I didn't know I needed in my life. And our paths just like crashed right into each other. We've been spending time together outside of our our work lives. We're both entrepreneurs. We're both trying to change the mental health mindset for first responders. So I want to welcome my guest, Jen Anderson from First Responder Coaching. Like I said, our paths just converged at the perfect time, and we're hoping to be working on some amazing things together. So welcome, Jen. I am so happy to be here. How are you? Thank you, Tracy. I am doing so well. Thank you for asking. Honored to be here with you. We've been trying to, like, we've been talking about doing this, but life gets crazy and, you know, just really excited that we're able to connect. I know folks can't see us. We're on a Zoom right now, but I can see you and your flag behind you is just, it's epic. I love seeing a flag that has all of the disciplines hanging behind someone and and seeing the the gold line in there as well, because we often in 911 get excluded for whatever reason, but (laughs) you right from the get-go decided to, to involve us in your endeavor. So speaking of your endeavor, we're going to talk about what you're doing and what you're offering uh, the first responder space, but I want to get a little bit of understanding of who you are and how you got to where you are launching a first responder company or organization that is, is helping first responders. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are first, and then we'll dive into the organization part. Thank you so much. So yep, Jennifer Anderson, I uh, grew up in central mass and found first responder uh, back in 2001. Uh, We married uh, in 2004. My husband, Kevin was in law enforcement for 15 years. In 2015, he was first diagnosed with PTSD. And so at that point, I, I knew that our struggles were were there, um, that we'd have to move through some really challenging times, but we did it head on and, and it was great. And um, for a few more years, Kevin was very successful on the job. And then in 2017, uh, in December, he had an all out mental, physical, emotional break. Uh, which led to a hospitalization. He was unable to contract for safety and we all know what that means. So 
he really had actually, I'm going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to pause there and I'm going to ask you to explain what that is, because I don't know if everyone knows what it is. And I do think it's, it's valuable to, to throw it out there to folks just so they have an understanding of what it is. So yeah, no, absolutely. To be, not be able to contract for safety means that he wanted to harm himself, that he was unsafe with himself, um, that he felt like there was a possibility that he could harm himself, um, kill himself. Um, he was experiencing suicidal ideations, um, picturing himself inside of a casket. Uh, it was pretty rough. Yeah, he, I can um, imagine. He was not uh, at a place that he could uh, he could move through that on his own. So I'm honored that I was able to get him. You know, we were able to get him into um, a hospital that needed, um, that was an amazing hospital locally and received treatment for the trauma that he experienced. He spent two weeks in the trauma ward uh, at the hospital and then transferred over to a first responder program. Uh, he was there for two weeks and then was transferred to a place called Onsite Academy. He was there for another two weeks. So he was in total out of our home for about six weeks. At the time, we had two daughters who were 10 and um, seven at the time and having to navigate life on my own after years and years of having his support and, and him being our foundation and our rock was just so tragic. Dance schedules and, you know, mommy, where's daddy tonight? Why can't we see him? Why can't we talk to him? It was not easy. As you can imagine, he did our finance. And so sure enough, one night, I had gotten a phone call from a credit card company looking for a payment and I was logging on the computer trying to access that account and realized I didn't have the password. I didn't know the password to that account and I couldn't get a hold of Kevin because he was unable to have his phone. He's in a a facility. so A locked facility. Exactly. Cords, no nothing. So that was my rock bottom, you know, sitting here trying my best to keep everything together and I couldn't even pay a credit card bill. So I was obviously in, in experiencing some of my own you know, trouble through that time. I had asked union, I had asked admin, I had asked for any help, any support, other spouses, and I found no one willing to support me. No one who understood what, what I was going. Um, now, when you so, say that, the, when you say that there was no one in a sense supporting you, so were, were you looking for help for you or for Kevin? I was looking for, for me. Yeah. Okay. Once he was hospitalized, I knew he was safe. Yep. So at that point I was like, okay, you know, he's going to continue to get the help that he's there, but I, but what I, about you? I needed support. Yeah. How could I move through that? Um, and I have a great community of friends and family who totally stepped up and helped us with our, you know, with our daughters, but my mental health at that point, you know, how right. am I going to move through this when the foundation of, of our marriage, the foundation, the person who he, you know, who he is, who at that time is just destroyed by his experiences with, with PTSD. So there were, you know, people out there, oh, you know, talk to this therapist, talk to that therapist. Um, and so I did actually, you know, seek out, you know, therapy, but it wasn't enough at the time. The, the person I went to didn't have the cultural competency to understand what first responder life was truly like. So I spent weeks talking to her about what our daily ins and outs of, of life were for our first responder, you know, for our lives, you know, Kevin working um, overnights and details and, you know, feeling like a single parent so often and missing family functions. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was just such at a loss. Uh, And ironically, uh, at that point in my career, I was in 15 years as a high school English teacher, a former student of mine who had graduated years prior 
reached out to me and said that she was working through a coaching program and suggested and asked if I was interested. So doing my my due diligence of research, realized that this Bob Proctor Thinking Into Results program was exactly what I needed. I needed a coaching program that would help me move from where I was in those moments to where I needed to be within those days, weeks, months, uh, as we were moving to hospitalization and then even return home. Um, the man that I got home, you know, sent home to me was not the man that I married was not the man that I had been raising my children. Um, he was a broken. So coaching truly changed my perspective on the woman that I needed to be the mother. I needed to be the wife I needed to be to move us through those. So coaching really helped and supported me through that time. Fast forward about a year later, I was approached by a member of our church who um, was putting together a coach program, coach certification program, asked if I was interested in learning how to coach. So jumped at the opportunity. That was a nine month training uh, for life coaching. And I soaked it all up. It was an amazing experience learning how to coach and ask powerful questions, how to listen. It was just phenomenal. Don't you think it's interesting that you are seeking help for yourself. Cause I found the same thing. You're seeking help for yourself and it ends up becoming a passion of yours because mm-hmm. you feel that you're able to now take what you've learned and teach others. And, and I know I'm kind of jumping to the punchline, but isn't yeah. it cool how you, where you started was you getting the help that you needed first. Thank you. That's you're really so cool. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so learning again, how to be a coach. And so I, I coached some of the women law enforcement spouses in our area, um, and then connected with a woman who's like, you need to bring this to the larger audience. Uh, I launched blue line coaching on Valentine's day of 2021 and connected with the national police wives association, uh, specifically a couple of ladies out in the Capitol, which as we know, uh, January of 2021 is a challenge for our Capitol police yep. officers and spouses. So to do some coaching work with them was just an honor, uh, helping them move through some of those, those struggles. Very quickly, they asked, we want to bring this to, you know, so many of other, you know, coach, uh, excuse me, so many other spouses in the area. Can we learn how to coach? So I went back to the person who trained me. He put together a 12-week coaching program. They became coaches. And I was just next beside myself thinking about how amazing it would be to bring coaching to all of our law enforcement spouses. That was my original goal. That's sure crazy. Enough, she gets a phone call. Yeah, right. She uh, she gets a phone call from a firefighter. Unfortunately, uh, a situation had happened and they had lost a firefighter in the line of duty. And they were asking if she would be interested in supporting them through coaching uh, with the experiences that you know she's had supporting her colleagues and you know, her her spouses in, in her area. Uh, so she calls me, hey, is it okay if we support the red? I know what to do. Can we, can we support the red? And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, yes, of course. And a light bulb. I just immediately knew that first responder coaching needed to happen. Yeah. So. It wasn't short after I launched Blue Line that I said, nope, we're going to scrap Blue Line and we're, we're bringing in first responder coaching. So that's so cool to unlock the ability to coach everyone across, like you said, all of the disciplines. Um, we now have 25 trained coaches around the United States from corrections to EMS, um, military, fire, corrections, all of them. I'm, I'm so honored to be able to bring coaching to our entire first responder community 
as well as, you know, not just the first friends, but as well as, as the spouses um, in that whole. So um, I'm honored to be bringing this coaching service for sure. I just love that story because you're not the first first time that I've seen something grow from just one discipline into other areas. And I think it's really important that you're crossing those lines. Now, some folks might get territorial and be like, hey, I was doing some coaching over here or I was I was doing some coaching over here. The way that I look at what you're doing, what I'm doing is that we are not competitors. We are not competition. We are allies. And if we can storm the front and use our superpowers for good, then we won't have as many people struggling. Cause that was something that I struggled with for a long time. Like my trauma brain, my rational brain kept telling me you need to break off, you know, and do this. You, you have to help Mm -hmm. people in a different way. You have to do it. You're being led to do it. And I'm just like, "Ah, I don't know if I can do it. And I kept doubting myself. And then it Mm -hmm. was like, well, but there's other people that are doing something similar and, you know, I get to a place where I had to kind of talk myself into moving forward with it because I was fearful that it would look at, you know, somebody else right. would look at it and be like, oh, you're doing something similar to, and it, and the way that I look at it is it's not doing something similar. Thank you. We we're actually doing the same thing. We're just doing yes. it differently. Yeah, that's it. We're doing it differently. We're giving people resources. We're giving them tools. We're giving them their power back. We're giving them their emotion control back. And then here we are. So you shift directions. You move from blue line coaching to now that you see the need across all of the disciplines. Yes. How does that look? So, so when I, when you say coaching, I know there's folks out there that are into the self-help and, you know, reading books that are, that are beneficial to them moving forward and growing and learning. And I just said, you know, we, we learn first and then we want to teach, teach it. It's (laughs) like, it's like, you know, it's a trade if you will. Uh, but, But so you switch to first responder coaching, where does that go? So this was just, this wasn't even a year ago. No, um, we're, not, barely, we're not even a year. Yeah. Yeah. Barely uh, a year ago, we switched into that first responder mindset uh, and, and connecting with the first responders, as well as, like I said, the community around them. And that struck me as something that I hadn't really considered because again, my purview at the point you know, that I was in, in my experiences was just specifically in law enforcement. And then, um, you know, to have the firefighter reach out and then, you know, having conversations with my husband, who's like, Jen, you know, trauma is, is trauma is trauma. You know, you have to understand that when there's something that's happened, an accident has happened, that person is calling dispatch and the dispatcher is, is observing, listening, hearing that trauma. And then they, again, don't know necessarily how that story ends. So yep. they're de- left, you know, dealing with that. And then, you know, the, the police officers who show up and are dealing with the trauma of, of the accident. And then the firefighters who show up and have to, you, gosh, knows what kind of tools to, you know, to extricate, um, you know, and then we've got the EMS workers who are, you know, helping to, to heal, to save, to, you know, it's just, it's what we're all connected in so many ways, you know, and the experiences of the military experiences of corrections officers absolutely filter into so many of those similarities of those um, key components of what brings our first responder community together. So I just, there was no hesitation in my mind that coaching was something that I know we needed to bring to this community at large. So the other thing that I think is great too, is that you guys are giving folks the tools to maintain that program in-house 
without having for you to have to go and respond all the time to perform coaching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super beneficial too, because we want more folks to get better at deploying services, having trained folks locally that they can call in a moment. Yes. So what does your coaching look like? So where, where does one start? If, if I said, I want to work with your agency first, what is it that you provide? And second, what do I have to do to become a coach for first responders to help them through some hard times? Awesome. Those are two great questions. So let me start with one, the services that we provide. So coaching itself is not therapy. It is not counseling. It is not mentoring. Even coaching is about creating a relationship in which the individual recognizes and realizes through powerful questions where they are in their lives. Um, It could be about certain areas of their life as they want to see growth in. Coaches help you identify those areas. So it could be career, it could be finance, it could be relationships. Our coaches are trained to, to coach anyone at any time about anything. So in that regard, I think it's an amazing tool as even a proactive approach to our mental health concerns within our first responder community. We can help create toolboxes. So when trauma occurs, we know it's when it's not if, Oh yeah. when the trauma occurs, they can move through it in really positive ways, which again, I know sounds kind of weird in our first responder. Like you can move through trauma in positive ways. Yes. You don't have to turn to alcohol. You don't have to turn to adultery. You don't have to turn to all these other vices that would lead to financial ruin or, or the end of a marriage. We as coaches can create, help you create that, that toolbox to, to help you move through. So in that respect, we offer one-on-one coaching. Um, which again, our coaches are fully trained to do half an hour to 45 minutes, 90 minute sessions a week um, to have that one connection. We also offer group coaching sessions where small groups of 10, 12 people can get on a Zoom call and, and have some really great conversation around the areas of growth that they see the, the need. And we've got hundreds, our coaches have hundreds of tools and strategies that are are proven to be sickle in helping individuals identify where they are now and then take action steps to lead them in the direction of more satisfaction within those. Uh, so it's a really great opportunity to, again, grow and experience all that our first responder community can bring in, in really positive and awesome weight longevity in the career, right? Advancement in the career, conversations about you know, your home life and the relationships at home, the spouses having conversations about how do I connect with my, with my first responder who's, who seemed to be pulling away. Coaching can do all that. And I think what it's, what's really cool that you mentioned is that it is a longevity issue to get folks to stay. You know, I talk, I, I will talk to somebody that's questioning leaving the profession, whatever their discipline is. I will talk to them about leaving the profession. Our goal, whatever, whenever we do this, and I think you're the same, is that we don't want you to lose the career that you love, that you've wanted to be. You know, some of these kids, they were five years old. They wanted to be a police officer or a firefighter, right? And now they go through all of this. They get to where they want. And in their first week, they have that call, the the one that's just going to stick with them and loop forever, right? Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, their entire everything is is destroyed. If yes. I, and I know I've talked about it on previous podcasts, but the treatment that I did for my PTSD or one of the treatments was EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Look it up um, if you're struggling. But if I didn't find that tool, I don't know where I'd be right now. I don't. I don't even know if I'd be here. 
And I can say that with 100% confidence that there, there is a high likelihood that I might not have made it onto the other side at minimum, right? So to be able to have tools and folks guide you and furthermore, just let you know you're not alone, right? You yes. are not alone in, in that we can, we can work through some of these things in a positive way. So that's amazing that your, your coaching does that for folks. So follow up. Second question is how do we get there? How does an agency, whether it's a 911 agency or, you know, police, fire, EMS, corrections, nursing, whatever it is, um, where you feel that folks need coaching for that. What if I, Tracy Eldridge, want to be a coach? Now, disclaimer, I already know, and I'm going to work through the process at some time in the near future. However, <laughs> I'm asking for your benefit out there in listener land. So tell me about it, Jen. <laughs> Absolutely. So all of our coaches are connected to the first responder. Um, as I mentioned, that cultural competency is something that's really important. So those of you out there who are looking at, you know, bringing in coaching or, or having some experience with coaching, absolutely no hesitations because that first responder experience is something we all have in common. And so to go through the process, um, our coach certification course is uh, 12 weeks. We spend two hours a week via Zoom having conversations about our text that we use. Our foundational text is called Coactive Coaching. Phenomenal text that bring us, brings us through the basics of, of coaching models. Then from there, we offer quarterly trainings on things like the assessments or conflict training. We also offer mentor coaching where we partner up with our coaches and, and practice continuously engage in coaching sessions in order to make sure that we are as proficient as possible in helping people move through those challenges. So um, that course is available. You can learn more about it online on our website, which I'm sure you'll be adding to this. Yeah, um, at some absolutely. Point. So, um, but yes, that, that piece is so incredibly important to expand coaching knowledge and understanding and expand the resources in all of our first responders, because we shouldn't just be sitting back waiting for that trauma to happen. You know, as effective and amazing as EMDR is, my husband experienced EMDR and he would not be here if it hadn't been for that experience of, of EMDR. I want to prevent us from even getting. Right, right. Coaching. And if I, and, and so when you take these tools, all the tools, you put them all into place, they allow you to get to where some of us are today. And if you don't even know that those tools exist, how can you get, how can you move past it? So many people want to try to do this alone and they don't have to do it alone. There are people that are educated and trained and understanding to know how to execute these things. And I think that's really exciting that you guys are, are being able to offer that. Thank you. No, it is exciting. Um, we're now having conversations with larger departments across the country to bring coaching into their own departments, whether it's via a bulk package of one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions that they're purchasing, yeah. or we also offer a train the trainer course for our coaches. So if they want to send a couple of people to become coach certified, then they can go back to their departments and train others to be coaches. You know, we're having that conversation with peer support teams. Peer support is an amazing resource. Yeah. Why not bring coaching to that peer support organization as another layer, another level of connecting with our first responders and again, the community and the spouses and the children um, to create that dynamic, the shift. I hate using, you know, the S word in terms of, you know, stigma, but 
we need to, again, have that cultural change of our understanding of, of the preventative care. What can we do before? What can we do to help us move through these challenges? And coaching is that answer. Yeah. And so when you talk about coupling it with peer support, so we've been encouraging folks in the 9-1 space, you know, police and fire, they've been doing a lot with peer support you know, for quite some time now. And 9-1 centers are really starting to, to engage. So for those that are familiar, you know, the listeners that are in my space, 9-1 folks, we, in the Nina organization, they have a peer support standard. And, you know, you, you always want to look at the foundation. And then I was able to be the co-chair for the acute stress standard that is now a new standard that's been updated to protect the well-being of the 911 professional. And in there, we referred to peer support and moving peer support forward. But I think it's very interesting that you coupled them together where you, you, where you made them, yeah. you know, kind of work. And I can see how they could definitely work together. Absolutely. To have people already established in a peer support team is a phenomenal opportunity to get them to be coaches, to have conversations that they might not ordinarily have. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most of the time peer support teams or critical incident stress management team often come in when something's happened. They check in, Hey, yep. how you doing? I know that was a rough call. I'm here for you, you know, and have some skill set in, in those types of conversations, but to be trained as a coach, to listen on four different levels, ask powerful questions that just blow people's minds. The questions that I've been asked through coaching sessions are like, <laughs> Holy crap. Like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Let me talk about, let me think about that. You know, we live by the 80, 20 rule. And you're like, where did that question come from? Haven't heard of that one before. <laughs> yes. No, blow your mind questions. Um, and that's the point is, is getting you to stop and think and process. There's a lot of silence in our coaching sessions sometimes because you just, you're asked a question that's like, oh, that just opened up a whole idea that I hadn't even considered before. But in order for us to make steps towards growth, we have to own it. Yeah. We have to own our own stuff. Right. Yep. And so asking these questions leads us to an understanding of who we are as an individual. And then we are take onus of where we are. And then we take onus of the steps we're going to take to move into that level of growth that we want to experience. So it's, it's a two-step process. And that 80, 20 rule is that, you know, 80% of the time our coaches are listening and asking powerful questions, you know, 20% of the time they are encouraging. They're just encouraging people yeah. to, to move in the direction that they, they want to move. Well, and I think sometimes folks don't even know what direction they want to move in, right? Like, so I'll get folks that will reach out to me and they they want to leave the 9-1 center, but they're not sure if they want to leave the 9-1-1 center. And it's, it's almost like an informal coaching. Like I'll get on the phone with them and I'll talk through some things with them. And it's almost like it helps them get to the solution or the resolution on their own. You know, you're not always just telling them what to do or, or giving them the information, you know, the information yeah. that you think is, is going to be best for them is, is letting them come to come to that on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much more power in that. When you talk about movements in our lives, yeah, we can identify certain areas on our own, but how often have we left a counselor or left a therapist and said, okay, well, that's great. She gave me, you know, five ways to move through this depression, but okay, 
right? Like they haven't taken ownership of, of the things that they've been told. So in all honesty, coaching, again, works very, very closely hand in hand with the therapy really, um, because you can have conversations and open dialogue with a therapist and then bring them to your coach and say, Hey, I just talked to my, my therapist about these five ways through this next stage. Can we go through them and, and discuss which ones might work best for me and how I can implement them and, and ingratiate them into the things that I'm already doing in my life? Right. Absolutely. That's a great, great, great conversation. So Tracy, going back to what you said earlier, we are all in this together. This isn't just a one size fits all. There are so many resources that we can pull together to support each other through this movement of understanding the mental health and wellness needs of our first responder. Well, and you know what I think too is, so so May was Mental Health Awareness Month and then June is PTSD Awareness Month. And what I think happens is that we post memes, we post pictures, we put up ribbons, we say it's that month that honors that particular thing, whether it's mental illness or PTSD. But a lot of times, and I've said this before in some of my podcasts, is that we don't always finish the sentence. So when we talk about it's okay to not be okay, I finish the sentence with it's just not okay to stay there, right? So so that's a finished sentence. We've talked about this before in other podcasts where when we're in training, in public safety training, in the beginning we'll get something with wellness or you know the uh, the the chapter I think it's like chapter 3 in your EMS, EMS book <laughs> is the well-being of the EMT, right? Like I know that one backwards and forwards. And we talk about the things that you could experience, but we don't say what to do when you experience them. So what happens is it becomes normal. People think that, oh, yeah, I could lose sleep. I could have anger issues. I could overeat. I could turn to drugs or alcohol. Oh, they told me that might happen. Look, here we Mm -hmm. are. Yep. But we have to get Exactly. So I refer to it as we have to finish the sentence. We can't just... Tell people about it. We can't just say, oh, it's PTSD Awareness Month. So on my TikTok channel, I decided that I'm going to every day for the month of June, I'm going to share pieces of my story, whatever the story is that's relevant. And I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to share. I I refer to it as the, the good, the bad, the ugly and the fixable. There you go. Because the the emotional aspect of it, the roller coaster ride, and I'm going right into another aspect that, that you have and I want you to talk about is that roller coaster ride for those of us that are experiencing PTSD. But sometimes you as the family member gets forgotten there. And yes. having you here, I think it's important we raise the curtain on that as well. I posted a TikTok last month or so. And I got a couple of heated comments and I thought it was interesting that folks were perceiving it in a way that they did, but you know, people see what they, they want to see in the moment. But mm-hmm. I said in, in that TikTok, you know, that we have to be careful is that our reactions to triggers, the way we react to triggers and situations could be causing PTSD in other people. And we have to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves and others. And I had folks super well received it, but then I had others that made statements like, oh, so I'm just supposed to, you know, stop having triggers. And nope, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is if you follow me and you understand my message is that there is help. There is ways for us to stop having those huge, powerful 
aggressive, angry, emotional reactions. There is help. You just have to want to get the help. So can you specifically talk to the effects? Because I know that you've gone through exactly what I'm talking about on the other side. And furthermore, we've had conversations where we are completely opposite, right? So we're friends, <laughs> but but we're opposite. I'm the one with PTSD and you're the family member. Mm-hmm. And so I can give you Kevin's perspective <laughs> and you can give me Jeff's perspective. And I think that's what works very well sometimes. But can you speak to being the, that family member and, and what you go through? Absolutely. I, again, immediately be, you know, experiencing the hospitalization, just, just so traumatic. We have conversations about secondary trauma. I am very curious. And someday I'd like to see some research on it. I know it's just starting. Yeah. I'm really curious to know how his sleeping habits have affected and influenced not just mine. I can talk to you all day about how they've affected my life, but also my children. In what ways are his eating? So as a family, we hardly sit down as a family to eat together because so often he's not hungry. Or if I make a meal, he'll have some, but we, we aren't, we're missing out on some of those pieces that I've tried really to, to hold on to. You know, sleeping habits. He's sleeping longer, tired. Well, that's great, but sometimes we got stuff to do, right? Right. And to, how are we going to continue to no- negotiate that as the as our children grow? Well, and not and sometimes not sleeping at all. Thank you. Yeah. So, in a lot of different ways, there is a ton of examples I can give you to the triggers, the experiences, the influences PTSD has had in his life that have occurred secondarily, you know, to, to the girls and I. It's been a challenge without getting into too many details. Bananas were a, quite a trigger for him for many, many. So, we didn't have bananas in our home. And I remember Grace, you know, my my oldest saying, you know, mom, why can't we buy bananas at the grocery store? And, oh, well, you know, dad doesn't like them. So, we're, you know, you can have them at school, but, you know, we're not going to have, oh, okay. And then years later, her finding out she's 15 now yeah. and learning that that's the reason why we didn't have bananas in our home for, for many. Um, and granted, because of his EMDR work, because of his ability to move through and, um, you know, CBT and, and all these other areas of growth, he, we have bananas in our house now all the time. Right. And, and I just want to stop you there because it is that powerful. It is that powerful. And you say bananas, mine was garlic. I hated the smell of garlic and it was just, it wasn't one of those things that I just didn't like the smell of garlic. And it was like, Ooh, that's gross. It was like, no, it triggered a rage in me where I got angry and I would get upset with my family when they would buy garlic pizza or things like that. But finding out through EMDR that there was a very vivid memory that was less than pleasant that was attached to that smell of garlic going through the process of EMDR allowed me to separate the emotional charge from the event. And now I don't have that same reaction. And it is just that powerful. So when folks are having that picture, that image, the Mm -hmm. smell, the sight, the sound, whatever it is that just keeps popping up, EMDR is this magical sorcery that allows you to disconnect that (laughs) emotional charge from the event. And it is that powerful. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I'm a huge fan. For that reason. Yeah, no, exactly. And and for that reason, you know, we were able to move through. He won't pick up a banana and eat it per se, but banana bread is a constant in our home. <laughs> so like there's so thinking about, you know, the support for the family members and, and thinking about what 
we've endured in our family, I think is something that we have, we can't ignore any, right? Um, we know that our first responders are experiencing things, but to, you know, to what extent are they influencing and affecting their home life and the people around them is something we cannot ignore. So to be able to offer coaching services for those spouses, for the teenagers of, of these first responders who are moving through these traumas is something I'm honored to still be able to, to be able to offer them as well. So the entire community has, is deserving of that support. Yeah. Because when we say that, you know, you don't have to do this alone, you're not going through it alone either. Right. And, and I think sometimes it, you have to take a hard look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I know it's challenging. I live it and breathe it every day. And I'm constantly mm-hmm. apologizing to my family. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry I acted that way. I'm sorry that happened. But I know that they understand, but it's not fair. It, they shouldn't have to pick up the broken pieces that they had nothing to do with breaking. But it's time that we take responsibility of our own trauma Right. And I I saw in a post somebody had posted earlier today and they were making reference to it being PTSD Awareness Month and Mm -hmm. they they diminished their trauma. And what they did is they, they said something along the lines of, well, I know my trauma isn't bad as others. And I'm trying to thoughtfully respond, not to call them out, but to let them know that it doesn't matter the size of your trauma. It's not a contest in that we can all have very similar experience or different experiences, but similar reactions or similar behaviors. You know, if you, if you put a hundred people in a room that have PTSD, there is a very high likelihood. We are all acting the same exact way in some way or another. Yep. we're, We're all acting very similar. I can tell you right now, Every single person sitting with their face to the door. <laughs> they're looking at the door, right? They're they're looking at <laughs> all of they're looking at all the exits that you know, if there's too many people, they're starting to get anxious. They gotta go. They don't want to stay in there. I don't know why I don't want to, I just can't stay here. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a chance that folks are taking things personally. Yes. If somebody drops something, the entire room is going to jump, you know? So, so when you take everybody that has PTSD while their journeys are are different, there are so many similarities. So to hear that, to to be able to hear that you're not alone and that, that folks are, are feeling and dealing with similar things is super powerful. And we have to, like you said, we have to stop just talking about it. We have to, we have to move it forward. It has to be moved forward. And I think the time is now, damn it. Thank you. Yep. I could not agree more. Absolutely. And again, continuing that goal of, okay, the then what I would, I don't know if you've talked about it yet, but our November conference. I have not. I was going to let you, I was going to let you share with folks um, as we begin to wrap up. And it's perfect because this is right about the time that we have to start to wrap up. Uh, but there are a couple of things that I, I want you to, to address is what you are doing and I definitely want to share that information uh, for for the conference session in November that that you guys have seen. First, what is it and where did it come from? Why are you doing it? So uh, First Responder Coaching is co-hosting our first mental health and wellness conference in November in New Hampshire. We're partnering with the New Hampshire Fire Academy for this amazing opportunity to bring conversations about not just the trauma, but the and then what 
conversations. So our goal is, you know, yes, we can sit around and, and have conversations about being in the muck, right? Being in the, er, the suck as, as someone I know close to me refers it to. And that trauma is horrific and challenging and your right comes in varying degrees to an extent, but to have an awareness and understanding of how to move through it, the and then what is what's yep. so pivotal in our next movement through our, our mental health concerns in our first monarchy. So the goal and mission of this is to provide those resources, provide those conversations about the resources available to move through the trauma in positive and all. And, and I think it's amazing that you're, you're doing that. And I don't know, I heard a rumor that I might actually be able to be able to join you up there. And I don't know, might be speaking at some point. Uh, yeah, that's not just a rumor woman. You are going to be there. Yay. <laughs> so definitely watch for social media, obviously. I share everything that that we do uh, or, you know, anytime I'm going to be able to speak where I want folks to to join us. And it's going to be an amazing day. And again, it, you know, there there are other conferences out there. There are other symposiums and any opportunity you have go to them. There is no one that's better than the other. They are all giving similar but different messages you know, I spoke to a bunch of EMS folks a couple of weeks ago, and I had to kind of change the the examples just a little bit, but it's the same thing, right? Where we, we experience stuff, we go through stuff, and we can come out positive on the other side. And I honestly think that sometimes when you're in the thick of it, and I usually refer to it as the big bucket of suck, um, <laughs> is in those moments where, you know, I'm dealing with a hard time. You know, I could be flying high one, one minute, I'm higher than an eagle. And then there's times I'm lower than a snake. And, you know, it just, I, I talked to another friend today and I explained, I said, look, I go through these periods. They're up, they're down, they're up, they're down. And, and if you can patiently wait through the downs, like the, the up is worth it. And I think that if we can get folks to understand that you can go from being in this dark place where everything is out of control to a more positive place where you change your mindset, you change the way you think, the way that you change the way that you see things, it is possible. It is possible and doable. So Jen, where can our folks find you? I would like you to to point us in the direction of of where they can find you and connect with you guys at First Responder Coaching. Sure. First and foremost, you can find us on our website, 1strespondercoaching.org. Again, 1strespondercoaching.org. We also have our business phone number. You can text or call anytime. It is 978-67989. And then, of course, we are on Facebook. Uh, Again, First Responder Coaching is uh, a group that we offer on Facebook for community. Um, Please absolutely join that group. We've got amazing uh, readers who are publishing articles and and blogs and comments and posts that are just so incredibly helpful and supportive. It's a great network uh, of people coming together to support our coaching as well. So any of those options, certainly reach out, please. All right. Well, I want to say thank you, my friend, first for, you know, joining me on the podcast, but second for what you're doing in the space and third for what you're doing for me. So I appreciate you and I want you to stay healthy and I want you to stay safe. And I can't wait till we start working together more. Yeah, I appreciate you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Awesome. Welcome back, heroes. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
Please like and follow me on all On Scene First social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA, Next Generation Advance. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.